not obviously not from Israel, but one of their enemies had taken into captivity all of Israel. They've been in captivity now for something like about 70 years. They had plundered Israel. They'd taken all this stuff. This is the exile that Daniel and Meshach, Shabrach and Abednego and, and all those guys all got consumed in. And so, so here's this whole situation where, where these guys are in captivity and Nehemiah asked Hanai, who was one that had managed to escape the captivity, and he's saying to them, you know, like, how, how are they? How are, how are the people? How are those that have managed to escape? Are they okay? Are they, are they doing all right? Like, what, what's happening with them? He's asking about the survivors. He's asking about how are they? Have they escaped? Are they well? And all that. And it goes on in verse 3 to 4, and it says, And he said to me, the survivors who were left... From the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He says, how are the survivors? He says, they're in great distress and reproach. They're not surviving, they are, they are barely surviving. And it moves Nehemiah's heart in such a way that he, that he weeps and he mourns for many days and he prays and he fasts. And the reason why he prays and he fasts is because, friend, we're not built for survival. We're not, we're not created to survive, we're created to thrive. It's our God-given calling to live a thriving life. The reason why I say that is because the very first thing that God said to Adam and Eve, and if you understand the law of first mention, when God says something, that's what he intends from beginning to end. He says that they go forth, multiply, subdue the earth and rule over it. The job of us that God created us to do was to thrive in life, was to rule in life, was to multiply, was to have success in life. It's not God's intention for you to survive in life. I don't know about you, but I felt like 2016 was a bit of a survive the year life. Anybody agreeing with me? I kind of got to the end of the Christmas Eve service and got home and went, oh, thank God 2016 is over. And, and if you looked at Facebook, everybody's on there, you know, like New Year's Eve saying, I'm staying up just to make sure 2016 actually disappears. People had an incredible year in 2016 of personal grief, of lost loved ones, of all sorts of stuff that went on. And, and it feels like, man, I survived 2016. Maybe we should get a t-shirt that says, I survived 2016. But I want to tell you that 2017, we're going to get back to how God created us to be. And God created us to thrive. God created us to multiply. God created us to subdue and to rule and not to be under, but to be over the top. We are the head and not the tail. And we are not going to be something that's wagged behind the dog, but we're gonna be something that leads it where it needs to go. And God's created you. He's created me to thrive in life, to absolutely accomplish everything that he sets out. That's why his word promises that it doesn't return empty, but it accomplishes everything that he sends it out to do. I don't know about you, but some things that God has spoken to me in his word have not come back yet. There's an emptiness there, and it's time 
for us to turn around and not go, oh, well, at least we're surviving. Hanging on till Jesus comes back. No, no, no. I got some promises. I got some words. I got some dreams. And they better come to pass because I'm not going to settle for survival. We're going to thrive in 2017. Is anybody else like that here in this place this morning? We can't afford to have a survivor mentality. We've got to understand that we are here to win. We are not on the losing side, we're on the winning side. But the interesting thing is that he says in here, as Hanai tells him what it's going, he says, the walls are broken down. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down. You know, the walls are significant because walls are what keeps the principles and the values and the culture of the place inside the city. When walls are broken down, it means anybody can come in and out. When walls are broken down, it means that things can leak out, that things can get out. And so the enemy comes along, and I think he's working overtime in our world today of putting down the walls, breaking down the walls around the church. I'm going to get a little controversial this morning, but you'll get over it. Breaking the walls down around the church by allowing different denominations, by approving gay marriage and all that. So it's breaking the walls down around the church. It's breaking the walls down, allowing the principles to leak out, allowing the values to leak out. It's not that we hate people that are gay. We love people from the gay community. We just don't agree with their lifestyle, just like I don't agree with the murderer's lifestyle. Come on, it's not that you hate the person. See, God doesn't hate you because the Bible said this, that nothing separates us from the love of God. Not sin, nothing separates us from, a, from the love of God. We can love people without approving of their lifestyle. You do that with your kids all the time. Yes, you love them, but sometimes you want to beat them because you don't approve of the way that they're spoken to you. But what the enemy has done is he's turned around and he's, we're going to get to that and we'll get to that a little bit later. He's broken down the walls around the Bible and, you know, I was just talking to someone this morning. You you can go on the Google now and if you go on to Google, you can find some idiot somewhere in the world that will manipulate scripture to fit in with what you want it to say and then justify your position. He's breaking down the walls around the church. He's breaking down the walls around the communities. Breaking down the walls about what we believe or what we value. And, and I said this at camp. You know, so many people are asking, what is the will of God for my life? Friends, stop asking what His will is and start asking what His ways are. Because when we walk in His ways, we'll always be in His will. But the problem is, is most people aren't really asking what's His will for my life. It's they're really asking, what will He allow me to get away with in my life? And I hear people ask this all the time, is it sin? If I do this, is it sin? And there's a series a little bit later in this year where we're going to change our mentality from being sin conscious to becoming seed conscious. If I do this, what's it going to produce in my life? It's not whether it's sin or not. It's about what kind of harvest am I going to have from this? We need to change our thinking, change our mentality. And, and the, the enemy comes in and he wants to break down the walls. He wants to de- remove morals from our society. Why? Because he knows if he can demoralize society, he can demoralize individuals. And if he can demoralize individuals, individuals he can destroy the world. That's why he attacks families so strong. Because broken families lead to a broken community, which leads to a broken world. He's trying to pull down the walls around you. He's trying to pull down the walls 
around our community. The other thing that it did is they burned the gates with fire. Why did they burn the gates with fire? Because gates determine what comes in and out. Gates decide what comes in and what goes out. If I lock the gates at my house and I don't give you a key, you can't come in unless you climb over the wall and then I'll think you're trying to break in or shoot you or something. But gates decide what comes in and what goes out. And so the enemy burns the gates down with fire and he tries to burn down the gates of your life because he wants to decide. He wants to decide what comes into your life and what comes out of your life. He wants to decide whether you're going to be addicted to pornography or whether you're going to be addicted to drugs or alcohol or whatever it is that you're dealing with. He wants to decide what comes in and what comes out of your life. He turns around and says, who do you think you are to decide what influences your life and what I'm deciding that? I'm going to burn your gates down and I'll decide what comes into your world. I'll decide what goes in and what goes out. And we've got to turn around and understand that he's trying to pull down the walls. He's trying to remove our values. He's trying to remove our belief systems. He's trying to remove what the Bible says. And then he's trying to create a way that he can have full access to come in and out of your life as much as he feels like. Because he just wants you to survive in life. He doesn't want you to thrive in life. He just wants you to be saved. He doesn't want you to understand that the reason why he saved you is not for yourself but so that you could win all those around you to Christ also. He just wants you to get to heaven. He doesn't want your family to get there. He is doing everything he can to pull down the walls and burn down the gates so that he can come in whenever he feels like it. And Nehemiah, in this moment, he, he realized that there's a, there's a problem, that something is going wrong here. And the first thing that he does is he's moved to prayer. He's moved to prayer. It says that he mourned and he prayed and he fasted for many days. He was moved to prayer when he looked at the state of Jerusalem. I want to ask you this morning, when you look at our community, when you see the teen suicide rates, when you see the teen pregnancy rates, when you see domestic violence rates, what happens to you? What moves you? What shifts you? Because when Nehemiah saw the des desolation of his country, he was moved to prayer for many days, weeping and crying and fasting and praying that God would do. What moves you when you're driving down the road and you're seeing people drunk on the side of the street on a Friday or Saturday night or people begging in the city? What moves you? Does it shift us out of our Christianity, out of the comfort of the church, so that we can reach out to them? What moves your heart? What causes you to pray? Because if the only thing that causes you to pray is when you're going through a tough time, if your prayers are limited to your life, friend, you are ripping off the rest of our community. Because if we just pray prayers for us, we become selfish. What moves you? He was moved to prayer when he saw the state. He was moved to prayer when you see the state of our nation, the state of our community. It should move you to prayer. It should move you. God doesn't move without prayer. And God is looking for those who would rise up in prayer. I know some of you are like, oh, what about God's sovereignty? You know, if God doesn't move unless there's prayer, what about his sovereignty? This is what I believe about God's sovereignty is that God sovereignly moves people to prayer. 
so that he can move. That's why it says in the Old Testament, I looked everywhere to find somebody who could stand in the gap, but I could not find one. He was looking for someone who would stand in the gap and pray on behalf of that community so that he wouldn't have to destroy it because of its sin. He wanted someone to stand in the gap and pray. Even though he said that he was going to punish them because what they'd done, he still wanted to save them because God is full of grace. And he's an invitation only God and he waits for you to invite him to come and move, to come and do something. He wants to be invited. You know, you got to understand this. God will give you everything that you need. The scripture promises that. He'll give you all that you need according to his riches and his glory. He'll supply your need. But here's the thing, and this is my challenge that God gave me for 2017. What you want, you have to go after. We can't afford to be people that just have our needs met. I don't know about you, but I want to see our community saved. I want to see marriages restored. I want to see young men and women that are giving their lives over to drug and alcohol and all that. I want to see them restored. I want to see the potential of their lives come. I want to see the potential of every single person in this room fulfilled, their God-given calling come to the surface in such a way that they become unstoppable. That's what I want. But what I want, I have to go after. And what I want requires a cost and it requires a price. And for Nehemiah, he said, you know what? I want to see my people, my nation restored. And so he was moved to prayer and weeping and praying and fasting for many days because he wanted to see his nation restored. What moves you? What moves you? When you pray, you lay hold of the most powerful being in the universe. When you pray, things begin to change. Powerful forces begin to move. Atmospheres change from atmospheres of domestic violence to atmospheres of revival because you prayed. You know, we can sing, we can dance, and we can have all the success in the world, but don't ever, don't ever, ever, ever confuse that for laboring in prayer. Everything comes from prayer. Prayer is the power of heaven. And we have to be moved to prayer. Nehemiah realizes the state of his nation and that something has to happen in the heavenlies first. And so he begins to pray. And in verse 6, he says, Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. And so what's he doing? He's praying that God would unleash his power. He's standing in the gap, not just for his generation, but for the generations that have gone before. And he's saying, God, forgive us of our sin, but we need you to sovereignly move. And he's standing in the gap and he's asking God to unleash his power. And so I ask you this morning, in 2017, what's going to move you to prayer this year? What's going to move you to prayer? What's going to move you to prayer? It goes on in chapter 2, verse 1 to 2, and it says, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I'd never been sad in his presence before. Now, Nehemiah was the king's wine cup bearer. That was his job. How many people want a job where all you do all day is walk around with a cup of wine for the king for whenever he wants it? 
Sounds pretty good to me. I'd never been sad in his presence before, and therefore the king said to me, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. And so I became dreadfully afraid. Everyone say dreadfully afraid. Seems a bit weird, doesn't it? That he's obviously feeling sad about what has happened. And the king says to him, why are you so sad? It's not like you're sick. And he becomes scared by that. It's a bit weird, isn't it? It's not really, when you understand the time. You see, back in those days, if you came into the king's presence and you were sad, and in turn that made him sad, he'd chop your head off. So when you're in the king's presence, no matter how you felt, no matter if you had the man flu, which, as we know, is worse than any labor that any woman could ever go through. Man flu has killed people and destroyed lives. It's the most devastating force on the place of the planet. I'm just joking with you. Get a sense of humor. But imagine, I don't know if, when, if, well, I don't know what you're like when you have the man flu, but I can only assume that Dave Morgan's like this. Oh, I think I'm going to die. I think that Elias on the couch and Gina waits on him hand and foot and <laughs> you can tell I'm just making it up now. And, you know, it's like, you can imagine going into the king's presence, you feel like absolute rubbish. You know, your nose is running, you got that tickle in your cough where you feel like that rather than speak nowadays, all you do is cough and, and you come into the king's presence and somehow you got to push that all to one side and go, hello, wine. You know, it's like, you got to be happy because if you walk, uh, and you made him sad, he'd kill you. He'd kill you. It's a little bit like when your kids are sick and you make him a hot chocolate, but you don't quite make it how they want it, and they just about kill you. He would kill him. And so he's dreadfully afraid now because he's walked into the king's presence, and he's sad. He's showing it on his face. And the king says to him, why are you sad? You're not sick. This is just sorrow of heart. In other words, hey, don't do that in my presence. I don't know about you, but right now if I was Nehemiah, I'd be packing myself. I'd be just still on. And it goes on in verse 3 and it says, And he said to the king, Nehemiah says, May the king live forever. And I love this. Why should my face not be sad? When the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. I love his response because the king is really saying to him, How dare you be sad in my presence? And his response to him is, Oh, king, live forever. But you know what? Why shouldn't I be sad? When the city of my father's tombs is burning with fire and it's your fault. How many people know right now, you know, you, you, you can hear the sword coming out of the sheath. Shh, right now. You know, it's like he, he's, he's there and he's just like, you know what? I should be sad because of what is happening in my community. I love this about Nehemiah because he refused to hide 
his faith. He refused to hide what was going on. He wore on his face what he carried in his heart. I wonder if there are some people in this place that have been too scared over the years to carry on your face what you believe in your heart. You've been told to quieten down. Don't speak what you really believe. In the workplace, we don't talk like that. You know, the, the enemy has come up. He's trying to get us to hide our faith, to settle down. Because if I was Nehemiah, I would have been, oh, I'm sorry, sorry. I said, happy now. Look at me. Happy. Happy. I'm happy. Don't kill me. I'm happy. No, but he didn't do that. He turned around and said, you know what? Why shouldn't I be sad? Look at what's going on. Look at what's happening. You know, too many Christians, they hide their passion. They hide their beliefs. They hide their faith. They're too scared to speak up. They're too scared to stand for what they believe in case they are shot down or, or they're marginalized or they're put down. But, but not Nehemiah. He's like, you know what? First of all, I'm moved to prayer. And the second of all, I'm moved to bear. I'm going to bear on my face what's in my heart. I'm going to carry what's in my heart on my face. I'm not going to hide any longer. I'm not going to shut down anymore. I'm going to tell you exactly how I feel about what you're doing to my nation what you're doing to my people. We can't be afford to be intimidated by those around us. God is looking for people that will carry His burden and stand for their beliefs, who will stand in the presence of greatness and refuse to hide this faith. You know, I went out a few years ago and played golf with Pastor Jürgen in San Diego and, and some guy, I didn't know who he was, but he wasn't a Christian guy, that, that he had met at a cafe and they decided to play golf. And, and, uh, and, and I don't think this guy really realized that he was a pastor and that I was a youth pastor because the first four or five holes on the golf course, it was like, man, you should see me Saturday night. I got so drunk. It was unbelievable. Was, ah, I drank 457 beers, 962 RTDs. Ah, it was a wild night. Yeah, I think I betted about five women in about 20 minutes. Ah. And he's boasting about his sin. He's boasting about his evilness. And then he says, he makes this mistake. And he says to Jürgen, he says, what did you do on Saturday night? Now they have a church service on a Saturday night. He goes, oh, I went to church. Oh, oh, did you? Yeah, I'm a pastor of a church. Oh, 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 that's great. Oh, that's great. If there's one thing our nation, there's no lie. This is what he said, one thing our nation needs, it needs God. You know, my daughter goes to church. She's a good, and he was just like, from, the, from, round, from hole six onwards, it was just like, praise the Lord, hallelujah. <laughs> but prior to that, he was boasting about his sin. You hear that in your workplace. You hear that in the school. People boasting about how sinful their weekend is. I want to say something to you this morning. If the people that don't know Christ can boast about their sin, how much more should we be boasting about Jesus, the Savior, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Deliverer? How much more should we be wearing on our face what we believe in our hearts? I think there's a generation of people waiting for the church to be the church. That man, by the end of whole 18... Jürgen invites him to church. He goes, oh, he might just come. 
There's a transformation that took place because he's prepared to wear on his face what he believed in his heart. People should be able to recognize from talking to you and looking at you that you have a savior called Jesus Christ. And the king couldn't help but see that Nehemiah was carrying something by the look on his face. And I think that that God is looking for a people that would unashamedly carry on their face what is in their heart. Can I encourage you in 2017, be moved to prayer. Find something that moves you and move to pray for it, but refuse to hide your faith. Refuse to hide what it is that you believe. You you want to go about it right. Don't be like a bull in a flipping china shop. You know? Don't, Don't become bullhorn guy, you know, the guy that stands on the street corner, you're going to hell, don't be that idiot, it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance, for God so loved the world, not for God had this massive baseball bat that he came down and smacked everybody over the head with it, we give grace, not judgment, come on. And if you give judgment, then can I just say this? The Bible says with the measure that you judge, God will judge you. So just be careful. That's why when somebody sins, I'm like, yeah, all good, bro. Sweet ass. So that when I do, it's like, <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. You know, there, there, is, a, there, is, a real, uh, there is a real pressure in our world right now to cave into the politically correct lies that are around. That you can't really say what it is that you believe. Friend, don't, uh, don't give in to this. I mean, I just think the media in our world, whether it be New Zealand, Australia, or anywhere else in the world, is, is just completely on one side, and it's not God's. And the reason why I think that is because we have to understand that Lucifer, Satan, when he was in heaven, he was in charge of the arts. He was in charge of the music and the worship and the arts. And media comes under that. And I think that you've got to understand that his vehicle of operating in the world today is via MTV, Hollywood, media. You know what I mean? Don't get sucked in by that stuff. Don't get sucked in by that. I, I get really, they'll tell you, I get really angry at home sometimes when some buffhead actor gets on the TV. So you're an actor, what would you know? You wouldn't take medical advice from an actor if you had a heart problem. Why do you take life advice? Just because they're on the screen doesn't mean anything. The same with me, just because I'm standing here doesn't make me better than you. Doesn't make me wiser than you. It's just what God's asked me to do. So just because I say something doesn't mean that you go home and, oh, I'd do that because Craig says, you need to check it out for yourself. Make sure I'm not some fruit loop. <laughs> you know, I mean, some of the things that, that they'll say to you is that you can't, you, can't, you can't tell teenagers not to have sex before they're married because they have hormones. It's gone really quiet now because I said six. (laughs) And so what they do, because you can't tell them not to, we'll give out free condoms left, right and centre. And then the teenage pregnancy rate quadrupled. And STDs quadrupled. Why? 
because, no offense, teenagers. Okay, I love you all. But they actually don't think to wear one when they're in the middle of it. But you can't tell them because they have hormones. And I know exactly what they're talking about because a couple of times I've been here at youth on a Friday night and there was this guy, Johnny, and he was worshipping up over here and, and, and because he hadn't had sex before he was married, all of a sudden he exploded all over the stage because his hormones are built up. So, and, and we had to quickly do something because all these kids were exploding everywhere because of their hormones. I'm just being stupid, eh? But you get told, you can't tell them that. You can't say that. You can't. And you know what cracks me up the most? Is that they're wanting you to listen to their point of view, but they'll never listen to anybody else's. Don't get sucked in by this. It's just trying to shut you down, to quieten you down. Don't be intimidated by it. Someone has to speak out. Someone has to tell this world about Jesus. Somebody has to explain to them the right way to live. And we can't afford to be intimidated and shut down. And, and in verse 3 to 6 it says, And he said to the king Nehemiah, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? And then, he said, and then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. And then the king said to me, the queen also sitting behind him, how long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and he sent me at that time, the first thing that Nehemiah did is just move to prayer. The second thing is move to bear. He wore on his face what he believed in his heart. And the third thing that he did is he was moved to repair. He said, send me to the place of my father's tombs that I may rebuild from there. That I may rebuild from there. Send me to the place where the previous generation finished that I may build off where they were. This is why I really feel like God is saying, return back. Get back to some of those core values. Get back to some of those core beliefs and build on that. And he went to a place called Judah. Judah in the scripture means praise. You see, we can't build off the praise of the previous generation. We have to build off our praise. You can't build off the praise of 2016. You have to build off the praise of 2017. Why? Because God inhabits, builds his house in the praises of his people. And if we want to rebuild our community, rebuild our families, rebuild our world, it starts with us building in a place of praise where we get before God and we praise him for everything that he has done, everything that he's doing and everything that he's going to do. See, God doesn't inhabit the complaining of the people. God doesn't inhabit the begging of the people. God doesn't inhabit the criticism of the people. God doesn't inhabit the whinging of people. God doesn't inhabit the ah of people. He inhabits praise. He inhabits people that are like, I'm going through some tough stuff right now. I feel like my life is destroyed, but I know if I can praise you in the middle of this circumstance, you can come and build here and rebuild what was and turn it into what it is that you can build the walls back up. You'll put the gates back in place and my life will become secure again, holding on to the principles and the values and the ways of God. And I'll be in charge of what comes in and comes in out of my life. But it starts with praise. And it's not praise in that we're, we're, we're 
just ignoring our circumstance. It's not praise in that we're pretending that that's not happening, but it's praise in that we're looking at what is happening and we're saying, you know what, in the midst of that devastation, I know my God can do something. In the midst of my love lost one, God is still the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's about praising Him. It's about getting your praise on. The rebuild begins. We enter His courts. You can't rely on your parents' praise. I said that at camp. Up until 18 years of age, I basically lived off my parents' spirituality. You can't live off what I say on a Sunday or Dave or Gina or Trinity or whoever else preaches. You can't live off that. You've got to get your praise on. You've got to get your praise happening. Come on. We can't afford to let God's praise die out. He comes and sits and manifests himself. God begins to move when we pray, when we bear, and when we repair. God starts to do something. And it goes on into verse 7. And Nehemiah says, oh, one more thing, king. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me, to the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. He said, I'm going to do this. Thank you that you're sending me. But along the way, there are different governors and there are different authorities and different lands. And they're going to try and stop me from getting to Judah. So I need letters from you. I need mail from you. That says to them that they have to let me pass. I need letters that will stop them from stopping me. I need letters that will stop them from restraining. I need letters. I need mail. I need some mail from you to them that permits me to pass. Because when we're moved to prayer, the first thing that happens is we get authority. I want to tell you that when you start to pray, when you start to move, authority happens and, and, and there'll be governors along the way or there'll be things along the way that will try to stop you, that will try to hinder you from going all the way into Judah to repair the broken down walls of your life, of family's lives, of friends' lives, of your workplace, of your school, of your community. They'll try and stop you from going there to rebuild. And I want to tell you this morning that you've got mail. You've got mail too. You've got letters from the king that says that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. That when God is for you, who can be against you? You've got, you got letters from the king that says every voice that rises up against you in judgment shall be condemned. You've got uh, letters from the king that says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You've got letters from the king that says he is your shepherd. You shall not want. You'll always be okay. The goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. You've got letters from the king. You've got mail that says that what you want to do in God, you can. Can do that when you step out with him, you step out with all of heaven behind you. We have let I can't believe that you're not excited by the fact that he's given you a letter of authority. So, when the governor, when the situation, when the circumstance says you shall not pass, you can do it. Excuse me, I have a letter that says I can pass and I can go through, and you can't get in my way. And if you get in my way, you got the king to answer to. And when the king comes, because you won't do what he's asked you to do, the king slaughters the king 
crucifies. That's why the Bible says this, that the hills melt like wax in the presence of the Lord because it comes with the authority of the letters. You've got mail. You've got to get that mail on the inside of you so that when it comes to those governors, when it comes to those circumstances, when it comes to that situation, you can sit around and say, I have permission to pass. Oh, the doctor said I've got cancer. No, 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 no. By his stripes you were healed. Oh, but, but I'm not sure that God can save my marriage, friend. If you're prepared to put the effort in, and, and the other person's prepared to put the effort in, the Bible promises us that no man shall separate what God has joined together. Oh, my kids aren't really going for the Lord so much at the moment. It doesn't matter what they're doing. What matters is what his letters say. That's what matters. You see, God's looking for people that aren't addicted to their emotional life, but people that are addicted to their devotional life. We're so addicted to our emotions. Oh, I feel this, I feel that, I feel, I feel, I feel. No, 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 no. Get addicted to the letters. Get addicted to the mail. Get addicted to the Word of God. Let your devotional life rule you, not your emotions. Because emotions will say, oh, I can't do this. I can't get there. I can't get through this. This thing won't let me. But your devotional life stands on the Word and it says, you know what? I don't care what the circumstances say. My God is for me. He is for me. I'm pushing through this. I'm getting through this. I'm here to tell you this morning, you have letters from the king. You've got mail and it's time that you opened it. It's time that you opened it. Why don't you just close your eyes and have Beth come on the keys, please. It's time that we open our mail. Just close your eyes just for a moment. I don't know about you, but towards the end of last year, my, my devotional life with God just, just slipped. I just got caught up in so much busyness. It just kind of slipped. Not completely, but not where I want it to be. And as I've come into 2017 and reflected on 2016 and some of the challenges that I faced, I felt like God said to me, man, you never opened your mail. I sent a letter for that circumstance. I sent a letter for that situation, but you never opened your mail. And I think in 2017, God is going to send you mail. God is going to send you letters. Let's not not open it. Let's make sure we open it. Just every single person, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to focus on Jesus right now. I think some of you right now, God's speaking to you. He's got a letter for every circumstance. He's got a letter for every situation. He's got mail for you. And his question that he's asking today is, one, will you be moved to prayer this year? Will you be moved? Will the state of our community, of our friends, and of it, will it move you to prayer? Will you bear on your face what you believe in your heart this year? Will you let what's on the inside of you come on the outside of you this year? Will you stand for Christ in the most difficult places? Knowing that through doing that, knowing that through 
your praise, you're rebuilding the broken down walls of people's lives. That you're seeing God's presence come in. Understanding that you got letters, you got mail for every circumstance and every situation. Nothing can stop you. Nothing can hinder you. Because when God is for us, nothing can be against us. Let me just pray for you this morning. God, I pray for those, God, that have really got it in their hearts that they're going to pray this year. God, I pray like the, the men that carried the paralytic guy through the, through the roof of the house, God, that they too wouldn't quit. They wouldn't give up. If they can't get in through the front door or the back door through their prayer, Lord, that they'd lift the tiles off the roof and lift that, that person, lift that circumstance, lift that situation down into God's hands. Lord, that, that there'll be people in our worlds that we start to carry in prayer to God, that we start to lift in prayer to God, that we won't quit until your word becomes full. We won't quit until you answer, that we'll be moved to prayer for our community, moved to prayer for our families, that we just would pray continuously, that we'll always be in the gap, believing for God to do something. God, that you give us the courage, that you give us the the, the uh, fortitude, Lord, to be able to not be intimidated anymore about what we believe, to not be intimidated anymore by what the world says, but we'll be people that are able to speak what God says in love and in grace and in mercy. God, that the blinkers of people's lies would be broken off, that the God of this world that has caused them not to see what it is that you have planned for them, we break off all the shackles, we break off all the scales of their spirits and of their eyes, that they'd see the love of God. They wouldn't see rejection, but they'd see somebody that loves them enough to tell them the truth, and that's going to walk with them and going to be with them, that we wouldn't be afraid to wear on our faces what we believe in our hearts, and that God, that we'll be a generation, we'll be a people, we'll be a people of God that praise God all the time before it happens that we would live a lives built in praise, that we're thanking you, that we're applauding you, that we're worshipping you in every circumstance, knowing that's where you come into your best building. It's where you come and restore. It's where you come and do things. That we'd have people that would rise in praise and rise in faith and that we would understand that we have letters from the King. And when we have letters... Nothing can get in our way. Nothing can stand in our way. Nothing can hinder. Nothing can restrict. Nothing can minimize. Nothing can stop the purposes of God and my life because I have letters from the King that says that I am permitted to pass. And so, Father, I thank you that my friends are going to get saved this year. I thank you that my family is going to get saved this year. I thank you that our schools are going to get saved this year. I thank you that our youth ministry and the church and children's ministry, every other ministry in this church is going to explode this year with people. I thank you that our church is going to explode with the life of Christ and that we're going to shine for Him because we have letters that said that God is with us. And when He is with us, nothing can stand against us. And so we speak to every principality and power over our community, over our friends, over our family. And we serve you notice that we have letters from the King, which says that we shall prosper, we shall see this community transform, we shall see people saved, we shall see sickness drop off and people healed, we shall see marriages restored, we shall see kids return to Christ, we shall see these things because my letters promise those things. Thank you. Come on, give them some praise this morning.